Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my first guest is Joe Pika. Joe is kind of the river expert for AGLCA, and anytime I have a question about a side trip, he's always the person that I go to. So as you know, if you've listened last week, we're currently presenting a series of podcasts that are outlining the options for you for 2020, when the Illinois River will be closed from July 1st through October 31st for some lot closures and maintenance. So last week, we covered the option of waiting it out in the Great Lakes and, and basically waiting till November 1st to proceed through the Illinois River. Today, we are going to talk about kind of the opposite of that, and that is if you are able to get through the Illinois River before it closes. So that would put you coming through most likely in the late spring to early summer, but certainly by July 1st. If that is your choice, then one of the things you can do is lots of side trips on the rivers once you get through that Illinois River. So Joe's going to tell us all about that today. Before we jump into the meat of the topic, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral Level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Joe Pico, welcome back to Great Loop Radio. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Kim. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and we appreciate your knowledge. As I kind of said in the intro, we are talking today about what things would look like if you decide to be ahead of what's sort of the normal schedule, although we don't really like the word schedule, um, but if you try to come through the Illinois waterway prior to its July 1st closure. So the first question I've been getting from some of our members is what can they expect from the rivers at that time of year? Because everyone kind of talks about what the river's doing in the fall when, when many loopers are coming through. What is the river doing in the spring and early summer? What can we expect? Um, well, spring, you have your spring floods in early spring, but I doubt if they'll be coming down with those. But when you get down there in June, July, August are the most settled times of the year for the rivers, absent some major weather event. So it's more consistent. It's going to be summer, hot for the most part, and you have your normal settled summer weather patterns. Great. So actually a pretty good time of year then. Um, of course, like any other time you're boating, you do have to look out for things like an unusual rains or floods. Um, but in general, there's nothing that would cause you, Joe, to hesitate to be on the rivers during that time of year? Absolutely not. And I've been on all of the rivers that time of year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, any special considerations uh, that you would want people to think about before deciding to do it on this time frame? No, um, it's all good. If this makes lemonade out of lemons for you, by all means do it because you will not regret it. Uh, all of these side trips are premieres. Some of them are extensive in that they're a whole summer season. Uh, there's so much to do. There's so many options. Whatever best fits the individual, and I look at people up in, uh, let's say, in Lake Michigan or the Great Lakes that are starting the loop from there. Well, obviously, if they're from there, this would be a great opportunity for them to go down the rivers and enjoy some of these side trips before they catch up with everybody. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. So some of our Lake Michigan boaters who would normally start the loop at the very end of the summer um, have the opportunity to actually leave earlier and spend that summer cruising in new waters instead of cruising perhaps on, on Lake Michigan if you're from there. So it really is, as Joe said, a great opportunity to explore some other things. Now, once you get through the Illinois River, um, and again, you would want to do that by July 1st, there's basically two choices. You can either continue southward, and if you do so, you're probably going to have some hurricane considerations before you reach the Gulf of Mexico, because of course that is the prime hurricane time of year. The second half of this podcast, we're going to be talking to uh, John Horton of Jack Martin and Associates about those insurance considerations. So that's something you're going to want to know um, because it can be costly. So the other option that Joe's going to fill us in on is, of course, these great side trips. And you can certainly kill the time between July 1st and November 1st or so when you can get all the way to the Gulf after a hurricane season. Plenty to see and do. So, Joe, let's maybe start. Um, we could spend literally hours <laughs> talking about some of these side trips. Um, so we're really just going to be able to hit the highlights today in terms of things you might want to know before you consider that specific side trip. So let's start, if we can, with the upper Mississippi, because that's one of the first options you'll have when you get to the end of the Illinois Waterway. Um, typically, you would head uh, southward on the Mississippi, but you could, of, of course, turn and, and head north and do the upper Mississippi. So what's that trip like? Tell us a little bit about how much time you, you might need and what some of the highlights would be for that. Well, the upper Mississippi is, of course, it's a long way. It's almost 1,400 miles round trip all the way up to the head of the river. And obviously there's lots of uh, stops and venues all along the way. Uh, so you can go up as far as you want. And the upper Mississippi is entirely different from the lower Mississippi. Uh, you have certain areas that are primary. They're, they're not as, it's, how do I put it? It's a lot prettier. A lot of people uh, really dislike the lower Mississippi. I like it all, but the upper is more prettier. If the water is clearer, uh, the vegetation, the really high hills, it's gorgeous. And you do have some major cities to stop and visit. You could go to the Quad Cities in Illinois, you know, Davenport, Moline, et cetera. But you can continue up and go to Dubuque, the Ice Harbor, which is really nice. Or you can go up to Lake Pippin, which is a gorgeous inland lake. You would think you're in one of the Great Lakes. Gorgeous, and that's all doable, and there's resources all along the way that you could stop and refresh. So that, that's an entirely uh, different perspective for a lot of the normal looping. The total length is 26 locks, um, and of course, Minneapolis-St. Paul is a great visit, but that's going all the way up to the top, mm -hmm. and that's uh, 659 miles one way. And I don't like to ask a time frame question too often because it's such a hard thing to answer because everybody wants to spend different amounts of time in different cities and everybody travels at a different pace. Um, but so rather than asking how much time maybe people should allow, Joe, tell me how much time you took when you did this cruise. Uh, we took uh, 51 days up and back. Okay. And, and that's a good and, benchmark and, for people. And I am a, I, I am a blue haired tourist. If there's a town I'm going to stop and see what it's got. And there's <laughs> lots of little places you can stop and interesting things. But, yes, it's about 51 miles if you go all the way to the top. But, again, right. it's a river, and there's a lot of history on that river. Yeah. Well, and on all these side trips, I guess in some ways it's a little bit different than the Great Loop because you do have to backtrack. You know, none of these are going to take you back around and put you back on the route. So you're going to have to go up and back. Um, 
Joe, just for those who maybe don't know you, um, tell us what kind of boat you were cruising in when you did these rivers so they can also kind of use that as a little bit of a benchmark. Well, we, uh, we were a eight mile per hour trawler with shallow draft, twin engines, and um, that's all we could do, eight miles an hour, period. Mm -hmm. So it's it certainly, you don't have a concern about occurrence and all. And there's many, many places to stop. So okay. you can get diesel fuel that's available, depending upon how much you need and how far you want to go. Um, it's just a very, very easy river, but people don't do this river for some reason. Um, and we get questions we, about it. Yeah, uh, I have very little information on the upper Mississippi because so few people do it. So certainly a, a good and unique side trip. Um, and as Joe said, 51 days at his kind of slower pace, stopping to see everything. So with about four months to wait between when the river, when the Illinois waterway closes and you need to be through and that November 1st date when most people can proceed all the way to the Gulf after hurricane season, you've got four months. So plenty of time to take a 50 or so day side trip up the upper Mississippi and back down um, and still time for some of these other side trips. So let's talk next, Joe, about uh, another one that's a very long side trip. You can actually go up the Ohio River as a side trip on the Great Loop. Yes, and that's one of our best cruises ever. Well, you know, we did the Great Loop almost four times itself. And we, we really fell in love with these rivers, thanks to the Stubbs. Um, it took us, well, we spent an entire summer doing the entire Ohio rivers. Um, we did all of the adjoining rivers as well. And to give you an idea, you're, you're, the Ohio predates the Mississippi for history in our country. And you're basically day hopping from village and town to city to village to town to city, most of which have a dock in the main portion of their uh, waterfront area where you want to be to begin with. And many of them are even free. A lot of free moorings and walls. Uh, you've got major cities to go to, such as Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky has two sets of floating uh, concrete docks with water and power for free. You just call them up and say, I want to visit. And they say, welcome to Louisville. Enjoy your stay. And then you've got all sorts of other towns and, and venues that you can really enjoy. Um, and then you can go all the way up, if you wish, to Pittsburgh and then go up the Monongahela to Wheeling, or you can go to Point Pleasant and go up the Kanawha River all the way to Charleston, West Virginia, which isn't that far up that river. But it's just a fascinating cruise with <laughs> too many places to stop, if I, can, if I can say that. And each one has a lot of history associated with it, as well as a lot of interest and facilities. Well, and the Ohio River, I, I, again, another side trip that I think is not, it's often overlooked by loopers. And I've seen Joe present on the Ohio River, and I was completely sold that this is one I really need to do. Um, talk a little bit, Joe, about the, the mileage and how you said you took an entire summer. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about the distance. And of course, for the listeners, anytime we're talking about the mileage on these rivers, you can turn around at any point and go back if you're not really up for the whole thing. So the Ohio is a long one. Tell us a little bit about that, Joe. Well, our round trip statute miles, considering all of the different rivers, is actually, um, it's 981 miles of river. 
And if you don't do any of the side rivers, that's what you're going to do if you go all the way to the point. And Pittsburgh, of course, is a gorgeous visit. And we stayed almost a month in Pittsburgh. So the time that we took to do that entire cruise incorporated a lot of premium time in some major cities, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Marietta, Wheeling, West Virginia, Point Pleasant, Gallipolis, Maysville, Louisville, Cincinnati. And by the way, Ted Stelly bought me a hamburger in Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so that's an incentive to go. But it's just a fascinating cruise. You will not be bored. There's, There's so much to do and so much to see. And these are premier cities. So that's, that distance, like you said, Kim, which is great, go as far as you want and then turn around if you, if you feel that you're losing too much or using too much time. But honestly, you won't regret it. Yeah, and again, you have four months. If, you're, if your plan is to come through the Illinois Waterway before it closes and not pay the extra insurance premiums to be in the Gulf during hurricane season, you've got four months. So that even that's enough time to do even the Ohio River plus some. Um, so let's move on to a couple that are a little bit more popular with loopers, probably because they're a little bit shorter. Um, but let's talk first about the Cumberland River. Tell us kind of the highlights of that and, and the distance and how many days you took to cruise that one. Well, the Ohio, the Cumberland River is a relative, is a lot shorter river. It's uh, 160 miles from Green Turtle Bay, and that's where you're going to stage. Uh, or Paducah, you can add about 30 miles to that if you're at the Paducah docks. But y- you would go 160 miles from Green Turtle Bay resort area to Nashville, which is a, a must-see, must-visit. On the way, you'd spend one night at Anchor and then whatever you wanted to spend at Clarksville, which is really a charming little city with convenient dockage right in the heart of the city. And then when you get to Nashville, of course, you've got all of Nashville to explore with Broadway and uh, the Grand Old Opry, which are, are only one small part of all that Nashville is. I was amazed. So if you want to go beyond Nashville, it the... Um, River continues, and you can go all the way up to Salina, which is the end of navigation on the Cumberland. And that's, that Cumberland is about 381 miles. So once you get to Salina, you got to turn around and come back. Um, and that would be probably back to Green Turtle Bay. Huh. And there's uh, locks going up. You basically have two locks in Nashville and four to Salina. Okay. Um, how much time did you and Punk take when you cruised the Cumberland? When we cruised the Cumberland, we didn't go all the way to the end because it started flooding on us and dead cows and buildings and houses kept coming at us. So oh, yuck. We came, we came back down. But uh, we took about a week, mm-hmm. seven-day round trip, and we spent two whole days just in Nashville doing things. We kind of compressed that, but we certainly could have spent more time. Mm-hmm. For sure. Nashville's uh, a big tourist destination city now, whether you're coming by boat or by car. So plenty to do there. Um, And then the last one I think we're going to touch on today is the Tennessee River. So tell us your your favorite parts of that cruise and how far you can go. Well, the whole river is 652 miles. So subtract the lower end, which is about 30 some miles. That's a section before you get to the Kentucky Lock and Dam and basically Green Turtle Bay Resort. So you can navigate from there 
464 miles to Chattanooga. Chattanooga is a must, must see. Um, the city has put almost uh, $280 million into their waterfront facilities and parks. Just gorgeous. You dock right in the heart of it, and there are things, uh, their, their whole waterfront is an attraction in and of itself with the two aquariums, the Hunter Gallery of Art. You go up to Rock City, you've seen all the billboards, or Ruby Falls, or Grandfather Mountain to the the, to the Confederate uh, battlefield and they take the uh, funicular up there. It's, uh, it's really a major, major city visit for you. And the highlight of getting to Chattanooga is a 31 mile fjord like cut in the Appalachian mountains that you go through. And these are 2000 foot mountains on either side of you as you course your way up the Tennessee river before you get to Chattanooga. It's just gorgeous. And if you're there in the fall, I keep preaching to people, uh, the foliage is absolutely spectacular. And once again, there are places to stop all along. It's remarkably inexpensive. The, the marinas and the boatyards and the river are amazingly inexpensive. Spending, uh, for a 52-foot boat, spending $270 a month, including power. Uh -huh. for dockage, and in some cases covered dockage. Uh, so that's the thing of inexpensiveness, but there's so much to see. I mean, the entire river is eye candy. And of course, Chattanooga is a major city and you have Knoxville as a major city. And there are, are several places that you can stop if you need to fly out. Uh, there's one particular one that's strategically located and You've always flown into probably Birmingham to get to Florence, or did you drive? I actually drive usually when I'm headed to that area. Yeah, because you can fly into Huntsville, Alabama, which is a major a major city. You know, my kind of major city is having a Costco and a Sam's. <laughs> but they have uh, an airport that has good service. So that's a great place, and, and uh, Ditto Landing Marina is a great place to leave a boat. But, and in Knoxville itself, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great place. You can go up to, uh, right before you get to Knoxville itself, to the headwaters of the Tennessee, you can go into the Little Tennessee and the Teleco Rivers, which wind their way a short distance, 26-some miles, right to the foot of the Appalachian Mountains, and you're anchoring in an embayment that you look up at a 6,000-foot mountain and watch the sun come over. It, and the yep. water is so clear, you can see 10 feet, and but it's cold coming up. Well, and that's mountain. actually, and I'm sure you know this, Joe, but that's actually where AGLCA's founders, Ron and Eva Staub, settled after the loop, which if you've read their book, Honey, Let's Get a Boat, you know that just about every city they visited on the loop, Ron said, I really like it here. Maybe we should live here. And of all the places, um, they settled on the little, little Tennessee River there. So um, Joe's talking about some of the most beautiful cruising and beautiful places along the loop, even though it's, it's part of a side trip. Did you go all the way to um, Knoxville, Joe? Yes. And we went beyond Knoxville to the Holstein and the French Broad Rivers. Mm-hmm. Because I, I wanted to wake Sea Ray Factory up there, but I can't make a wake. So <laughs> well, we've also had some members who um, wanted to be part of the Vol Navy up there and tailgate by boat for a football game in yeah, Knoxville. So yeah, that's also something you can do. 
They've got to go several days early to get a parking place in the middle of the river. Exactly. The boats are rafted shore to shore uh, with, uh, it looks like Sodom and Gomorrah or sounds like (laughs) (laughs) So not your idea of a quiet weekend cruise. (laughs) No, 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 Uh, we don't want to do that for a quiet weekend cruise, but it's spectacular. Knoxville is a good venue to see. Uh, It's just a gorgeous area the whole way up. The lakes are spectacular. And every time we'd come around to Ben, my wife would say, Punk would say, Oh, I could live here. Oh, I could live there. Oh, mm-hmm. I could live here just like this spot. Yeah, exactly. So one other question for you, Joe, and you touched on this a little bit with Huntsville, um, but being that people will have several months before they can go further south, um, where are some of the best places you would recommend to leave boats? And, and Huntsville is a great choice, and um, it actually appears that the airfares for there have come down substantially because I have a child who lives there, and when he comes home now, it's costing me much less <laughs> to get him home from school now than it used to. So that's good news for anybody looking to leave a boat and grab a plane to go home to visit. But any other places that you would suggest, Joe, that people might look? And by the way, your, your, your point about it being very cost-effective for monthly dockage in these areas is another great point because people are maybe planning to spend a few months. Um, so with that said, you know, if you want to spend a couple weeks in a city and, and fly home and spend a couple weeks home, where are some of the best places for that monthly dockage? Well, let's go to um, the Mississippi first. You've got several good locations. Um, of course, you're starting out right next to Louisville. I mean, yeah, to St. Louis. So you've got STL right there. But you can run up the Mississippi. You can stop in several places, Quad Cities, Moline. There's good airfare coming out of there. There's also in uh, Dubuque, the Ice Harbor has good. And, of course, all the way up to Minneapolis-St. Paul, you have good air connections. Uh Let's jump over to the Ohio River, any of your major cities, Louisville, Kentucky, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh, all. Plus, you've got uh, Charleston, West Virginia, the capital, Wheeling, West Virginia, so there's major cities the whole way that have air service. If you go into the Cumberland, of course, you've got Nashville. Nashville would be your primary first choice airport because that's a major airport. And there are marinas that you could leave your boat there, uh, particularly Rock Harbor Marina. And on Tennessee, you have Chattanooga. You have Huntsville we touched on. You also could fly into Florence if you want. And you, you said that uh, you can do that or you can – jump over, get a rental car, and go to Birmingham, Alabama, which isn't too far, and they have a little bit cheaper rates mm-hmm. if you're down on that end of the river. But right. that's it. There are options the whole way. So that makes these very attractive. Yeah. So I, you know, I hope, um, Joe, that you've been successful in helping me kind of reframe this from I'm going early and having to kill some time to what a great opportunity <laughs> to go a little earlier than you might have originally planned and see some of these extra great sites because you will have so much time. Um, so, Joe, I thank you. Making, making lemonade out of lemons because, believe me, it, this is a sweet trip, all of them. You won't regret Yeah. And Obviously, we can only scratch the surface of these four big side trips in today's discussion. But as we get closer to 2020, if this turns out to be one of the options many people seem to be taking, then we'll bring Joe back and we'll get him to do a session on each one of those so you can get some more information. But for now, we have to leave it at that. Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Kim. It was a pleasure. 
And we will be back after these messages from one of our sponsors, and we'll pick up the discussion for those of you who might not want to do these side trips for one reason or another and may want to look at the insurance considerations for heading straight south and, and for the Gulf during the summer. So we'll be back in a moment. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. Welcome back to Great Loop Radio. As we've been discussing, the Illinois Waterway will be closed for a period of time in 2020. And today's topic is how to deal with that if you plan to go through early. It's scheduled to close July 1st, as we've been talking about. And we're picking up now with what the insurance considerations would be if you came through early, for example, in June, and wanted to proceed south towards the Gulf. So my guest for this second part of the podcast today is John Horton, who is with Jack Martin and Associates, who is a long-term AGLCA sponsor. So John, thank you for that, and welcome back to Great Loop Radio. Hey, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. We're, uh, we're always happy to be a part of this, and uh, definitely a lively topic with the closing of the Illinois River there. It certainly is, and uh, we're trying to make sure that everybody understands the options that are available to them. So, of course, if they do choose to come through the Illinois Waterway earlier than typical, um, that would put them coming through in late spring uh, to early summer. Um, and as Joe has described, there are plenty of ways to kind of kill some time, if so to speak, before you head further south. But there will be some loopers, and there are some every year, who want to head south a little earlier than many. So of course a consideration there is insurance because some policies won't cover you to be in the hurricane zone. So let's start with the basics and let's also start with kind of the, the precursor that all policies are different, right? So everybody needs to check their own. Um, but typically what's considered the hurricane zone? I would say nowadays, and I say nowadays because I've been doing this 15 years and it seems to change quite frequently. But um, as of this year, I'd say anything south of 31 degrees north latitude, which would be um, if you drew a line from Cumberland Island, Georgia, kind of Florida-Georgia border, straight across uh, the top of Mobile Bay. Um, that That's kind of the line that they do not want you south of during hurricane season. Okay. Um, and what is usually the date that you can actually proceed further south than that line? Again, I'll preface this with right now, the line, uh, <laughs> the date is November 1st. Um, so it seems November 1 to June 1 is when they want you, or, or rather the other way around, June 1 to November 1 is when they want you north of 31 degrees. Okay. Um, that's what they consider storm season. Okay. And that's not to say we get some confusion on this because I think a lot of people who typically keep their boats in Florida or far south are already paying to have the boat in that area. They're paying those extra premiums and may not even realize it. And for people who have never boated 
that far south may not realize that this is even a thing to worry about. So if you've come through the Illinois River, it's you know now maybe July, maybe August, and you're considering continuing towards the Gulf. Um, John, given the past few very active hurricane seasons with lots of damage and therefore lots of claims, is it even possible to get insurance for somebody who's wanting to head south while it's still hurricane season? It definitely is still possible to get it. Um, it's getting a lot harder to get it. Um, things they're going to want uh, will be a really good hurricane plan. Some companies are even requiring you to have the boat hauled out as part of your hurricane plan. And if your boat is not hauled, you would have no coverage if a storm damages your boat. Um, some of the other companies that are not getting that strict on the, the requirements uh, will allow you to be there, but they want a very well thought out hurricane plan. And uh, usually that is for whatever your port's going to be. Um, I know a lot of these guys are cruising, doing the loop, so you don't really have a home port. But, um, you know, what I tell most people is just think of a place, kind of a center location where you're going to be in the Gulf and, you know, pick out a marina that would be a really nice location that has good facilities so that um, you can come up with a really well thought out hurricane plan for those guys. Right. And we have done an episode of Great Loop Radio in the past with John where he described in a little bit more detail what that hurricane plan should include. And your insurance company is going to give you details as well about what they want to see in that. So we don't have the time today to go into a lot of detail on what the hurricane plan would include. Uh, but it is certainly something that's going to be needed if you plan to be in that zone during those months. Uh, so th this is maybe not a fair question, John, because everybody's boat is different, everybody's policy is different. But just to, to kind of give people an idea and help them make that choice, should I take a, a very long side trip up some rivers or should I head for the Gulf? Can you give us some kind of an idea on how much you can expect those premiums to go up if you do decide that you want to be in the Gulf or, you know, Southwest Florida before November 1st? I would definitely say being conservative, you can expect it to double. Mm -hmm. um, and also possibly windstorm deductibles to be added in there that, that would be much higher than your normal deductible as well. Um, it, that's really conservative. I have seen it go up as much as three times. Um, according to, you know, what kind of boat it is, how old the boat is, where they're using the boat, um, mm -hmm. and, and all of those other factors. But just to be conservative, I would say look at at least double what you're already paying. Okay. And so you're looking at double your premium, double to triple your premium, as well as possibly um, some higher deductibles, correct? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. And then there's also the cost of uh, should there be a storm and your hurricane plan is to haul the boat, um, there can be a cost associated with that, and that's going to be different depending on facility and depending on boat. Um, so just to put out there that there for those people who might be considering this, and I know in here in Charleston for hurricane season, when there's a storm coming, it can be a little bit of a scramble to find a place that can do the haul out and has the time and the space to do that. So those are the kind of things you're going to want to plan ahead. Um, and I don't know from your experiences in some of the Gulf areas, John, here in Charleston, you can essentially pay to have a reserved spot and then you're paying that fee and it's a few thousand dollars, I believe, regardless of whether a storm comes this way. But, you know, you've got a space. And then the other option is usually a first come, first serve, which might put you into um, the haul out a week in advance and it may turn out not to be needed. So there's certainly costs uh, all around this idea. <laughs> and, uh, John, I don't know if you've, you've seen that in some other places as far as preparing for the hurricane plan there can be some costs even if there's not a storm oh absolutely absolutely and a lot of the really good policies out there um, you know I would, I would definitely encourage everyone to check theirs to see if this is available um, they have a hurricane hurricane haul out coverage 
or a name storm extra expense coverage, some of them call it that, what that will do is the insurance company will pay half of your expenses to have your boat hauled out of the water in the event of an approaching named storm. Um, and that's a, you know, a nice way to, to counter those expenses a little bit and, and take advantage of a coverage that you're already paying for. Right. And any ballpark guess as to what that kind of coverage would add to your, your premiums? It, it usually comes standard on most policies. Um, gotcha. You know, most okay. of the policies I'm writing for the loopers, it, it's part of the, the standard policy wording. Okay. Well, that is perfect. That's, you know, the, kind of the basic information to at least let people know what they should be looking into and start to figure out budget-wise whether proceeding south before November 1st is something they want to do. So, John, thank you so much for joining us. Again, uh, this is John Horton with Jack Martin and Associates, who's been with us today and has been with us as a sponsor for quite some time. So, thank you for that, John. Hey, thanks again for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to, to be on the phone with you guys. My pleasure as well. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. 